Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. All right, how you doing, everybody? Casey Ryan here again for another episode of The Cutting Room Floor, a little podcast that I started to showcase any of the entertainers and creative types from all walks. Uh, I'd like to say if you've got a story to tell or a project to sell, then I want to hear from you. So the easiest way to get a hold of me is on Twitter. You can ask anybody that knows me. I'm on there all the time, uh, at Cutting Room MRB, or you can hit me up on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Cutting Room MRB. Uh, you want your uh, pr- uh, program or your project uh, shouted out, or you want to come on the show for an interview yourself, I'm happy to talk to anybody that uh, that is willing to come on and uh, you know say a few words with me here. Uh, so I'm using the old talk show format today, uh, specifically because I've got a guest out of Florida, and uh, I thought that this would be a little bit easier to kind of coordinate. And I also wanted to uh, thank Tracy McCormick before we get started. Uh, he was a mutual friend of uh, my guest and I today. Tracy has uh, done a really great job of promoting people out of the Arizona area. Uh, she was on here a couple of weeks ago and had all kinds of really cool stories about her own experiences in radio, and she started to set me up on interviews with a bunch of her clients um, through the PR work that she's done, and uh, I'm very, very grateful for the opportunity, by the way. Uh, and uh, the first in this series is actually going to be my guest today, uh, retired Captain Jerry Yellen, and uh, I was really excited to do this because uh, I love talking to military people. Uh, this is something that over the years has meant a lot to my family. I've, I've had um, close friends, uh, my family that have passed away. God bless them. That you know have fought in Italy and in Germany and various places. Uh, uh, Frank Johnson, for instance, who was a lieutenant colonel uh, in the Canadian Armed Forces, uh, part of the group that they affectionately referred to as the D-Day Dodgers because they fought in the Battle of Ortona. Uh, and Uncle Bob Mitchell, uh, who was my mother's uncle, my great uncle, who uh, was a POW for several years in a, uh, a camp that later became the subject of my favorite movie of all time, The Great Escape. Uh, and also I've had a, a general on the show. Uh, six years ago I went back. This is one of my favorite episodes. Uh, Major General I.C. Poulter was here talking about a documentary that his uh, unit was the subject of, and he was had actively been deployed to Afghanistan and a bunch of places like that. Uh, because regardless of the politics that you are on this crazy world that we have nowadays, the, the people that are in the military are the ones that are willing to step forward and make quiet life possible for the rest of us, uh, you know, sometimes the ultimate sacrifice. Uh, so I have a lot of respect for military people, and, and uh, you know, I'm very excited to, to be able to talk to Captain Yellow today. Uh, so just to give you some information on him, uh, he's a retired Army, Army Air Corps pilot who served in the Second World War. Uh, he he actually had the distinction of flying in the final combat mission of the Second World War and is an award-winning author of four books, actually a fifth one that's just come out recently. Uh, and he's now traveling around the world, uh, still very active at the, uh, the young age of 93, sharing his story and um, helping a new generation of soldiers that are uh, and veterans that are suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, and the latest book is actually called The Last Fighter Pilot, which he co-wrote with author Dan, uh, Don Brown, I should say. So uh, without further ado, the cutting room floor proudly welcomes from Orlando, Florida, uh, for the first time, Captain Jerry Yellen. Uh, Captain Yellen, how are you? Um, I'm, I, I, I have to live up to your uh, 
uh, announcement, Casey. It's not going to be an easy thing to do. So I'm fine. Uh, I'm really good and uh, quite busy and enjoying my life. Yeah, so the first, the first question I always have for everybody is a bit of an icebreaker. Uh, did, did I get all of your bio information right, or was that close enough, as I like to say? Yeah, it, it was good. It was all good. Okay, good. Good. I appreciate that. Uh, so just to sort of frame this, uh, I, I was kind of reading through on your website, and you, you know, very well put together, by the way, but um, I, I noticed that you actually, um, there's a number of distinctions in your military career, but uh, one of them was that you actually enlisted on your on your actual 18th birthday. Is that right? Yes, February 15th, 1942. That was my 18th birthday. On December 7th, 1941, I made up my mind that I wanted to fly fighter planes against the Japanese, uh, and I did that. So where were you at the time? I mean, that that was you know right near Pearl Harbor, but but where were you at the time when when uh, when that attack took place? Well, I, I was working at Crucible Steel. I had a scholarship to college, but no money. I had postponed entrance to the spring semester of 1942. And then on Pearl Harbor Day, I heard about the attack by the Japanese uh, at Fort, in Hawaii, and uh, I decided I was going to become a military guy, fight for my country. And I was just one of 16 million young men who did that, all of us, sir. And uh, I'm kind of curious, why the, the Air Corps specifically, as opposed to, say, the, the Navy or, or any of the other branches of military service? What was it that drew you to the Air Corps? Well, in, in 1930, I started to deliver magazines, Colliers and Liberty magazines, in my neighborhood. And I was given coupons that I turned into Balsawood models of World War One airplanes. I read all the magazines about the World War One pilots, and then um, Lindbergh became my hero and in 1939, my despicable hero when he did an anti-Semitic speech in Des Moines, Iowa. Uh, so I was always interested in airplanes, and uh, I, I made up my mind I was going to fly them. And they actually wound up putting you in the, uh, in the Pacific Theater as opposed to the European Theater, right? Well, the last 28 guys in our class of 43H at Luke Field were sent to Hawaii to get 50 hours more on a P-40. All of us had 10 hours at flying school, and okay. we were sent to the Pacific. That was just the number that came up. So, like, it wasn't something that you applied for specifically. That was just where they, they elected to send you. Is that right? Well, they they began with the the letter A in the alphabet and sent them to different places. And the, the last 28 guys from R through Z were sent to Hawaii to the 78 fighter squadron. And they kept four of us. And we flew P-47s and then P-51s and landed on Iwo Jima on March 7, 1945, when the Marines had enough land to protect the airfield. And uh, how many uh, actual combat missions did you wind up flying in the, uh, I think you were in there for four years, right? Well, I was in for two months shy of four years, but I didn't go into combat until March 7th, 1945. I flew 19 VLR missions, very long-range missions, uh, from Iwo Jima over Japan and returned a P-51. We sat for almost eight hours, a little over eight hours in a 
locked into a, strapped into a single engine, single pilot, a fighter plane. They were the longest missions flown in the war. But he's flying all the way across all the way across the Pacific all by yourself. Uh, yeah, well, we were all by ourselves. We couldn't navigate. We flew on the wing of a B-29 to get us to Japan, and then the B-29 orbited when we went in, strafed, and escorted B-29s, uh, shot up uh, airfields and shipping shipping ports and factories. And uh, I flew with with 16 guys who didn't come back, 11 killed in combat, and five killed in accidents in Hawaii. Uh, between 1943 and 1944. So it was uh, it was difficult times. Uh, we were at war with several nations, Germany, Italy, and Japan, who now, after 72 years, are the friends of America. And the two, two countries we fought with as allies in World War II, Russia and China, seemingly today are the enemies of the world. It's been a, a gigantic switch. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's amazing how, uh, you know, I mean, you know, the notion of, of uh, you know, political alliances shifts, uh, you know, over the years, right, that, that, you know, now everybody's looking to, you know, to Germany as an ally, right, mm-hmm. especially oh, big, Europe. big time, and Japan. I have three Japanese Japan, grandchildren. Yeah. Right? Yeah, Absolutely. So uh, I guess one of the more interesting or unique aspects to it, uh, you know, to your life is uh, what happened to you actually after the war, right? So after it was all said and done, and you and you came back home, how did you sort of reacclimatize yourself to to daily life as as a regular civilian kind of thing? It was difficult. One day I was a pilot in the Air Force, Air Corps, and the next one I was a civilian, and with uh, my dreams at night for for 30 years were about suicide, about uh, the 16 guys that I flew with who didn't come home. And then in 1975, I learned transcendental meditation and really got my life back almost instantaneously. So no, it, it yeah, I, I was going to ask you about that as a tool. Like it, that, that sounds like it really was a blessing for you, right? So, so what kind yeah, of? Yeah, it was, it was really? a huge blessing for me, and it's a huge blessing for the military today. Twenty-two young men from Iraq and Afghanistan commit suicide every day. War is the most stressful, most destructive uh, manufacturer of stress in human beings. We were all raised when I was raised by the Ten Commandments. And one of the commandments was thou shalt not kill. Then you put a uniform on and you're given a license to kill. People who believe something strongly enough that they're willing to kill other people, uh, Germany, Japan, Italy, they were all allies. And their idea about conquering the world and being the rulers of the world and America and Great Britain and partially France partially Russia and and, and uh, uh, China were all opposed to that. We fought a war that killed 60 million people, World War II. And, uh, and Canada, too, for that matter, right? Yeah, absolutely. Canada was involved. The RCAF, Royal Canadian Air Force, and the Royal Air Force, they were the last defenders of freedom in Europe. 
so uh, I, I guess how did you sort of manage it at least initially? Like uh, you know, before you found the transcendental meditation, I mean, was it something that you had a hard time working on a day-to-day basis? Or, or? I couldn't work. I couldn't work on a day-to-day basis. I, really? I moved. I moved 15 or 16 times after I got married in 1949. I had four sons, but I I was a pretty good golfer. And I gambled on a golf course to make a living. That that was my escape, just going out and playing golf and five hours at a clip and doing it almost seven days a week and making enough money to support myself. It was uh, it was difficult, Casey. It wasn't an easy time. I think that uh, the memories of killing and the memories of the people that, that, that died in service that you knew personally were overwhelming, stressful, overwhelmingly stressful for me, and uh, I suffered. So, so what kinds of things is the um, has the transcendental meditation helped you with specifically? Like, uh, you know, what kinds of skills did you learn through that? Is is it teaching you to be at, at peace with yourself? Is it teaching you to to figure out what ways to to reduce your overall stress level? I guess how did that help you? It gives you a tool that remains your personal tool to be at peace with yourself, to remove the stress in your life, and to increase your intelligence. It it gives you 20 minutes of rest twice a day, 20 minutes of deep silence uh, that allows you to function uh, 10, 12 hours a day uh, with peace in your mind and peace in your heart. I'm doing the same thing today. It's... uh, 42 years later, meditate twice a day, every day. And uh, it, can, it gives me the strength and the uh, ability and the physical and mental integrity to do the things that are right for other people. And that's what I do. And uh, you, you, having suffered from my, my own share of stress management problems, I've heard that exercise can help you too. Is that something that you still engage in or... or... Well, exercise is as good for you physically. Mental exercise is good for your mentality. Yeah, okay. I run 20 minutes a day in a swimming pool well, when I'm at home. I do. I run in a swimming pool 20 minutes a day. Um, and one of the other things that I, I know that uh, that you're very proud of is that your your current work going around and speaking with with current vets. And uh, I was just wondering if you could you know maybe elaborate on on the kinds of things that you do in terms of your your speaking engagements or you know going out to to talking to active service members you know that are currently serving right now or recent vets for that matter. Well, I also speak to schools from eighth grade eighth grade on up to universities. Uh, it seems that the younger generation today is pretty much about me and not enough you in their lives. And and I talk about myself and the experiences I had that gave me the learning experiences to become a spokesman uh, for a lot of different things. Um, a spokesman for Spirit of 45 Day, which celebrates every Memorial Day a parade in Washington, D.C. with three or 400 students carrying veterans' pictures of the veterans who were killed in World War II. I'm a spokesman for Operation Warrior Wellness, which teaches TM to veterans. And I'm a proponent for uh, living a life that uh, is healthy for me and maybe an example for other people. That's what I do. 
it's a humbling experience and a grateful experience for me. My 21-year-old granddaughter is here with me in Orlando now. In 2015, she I went to, to Iwo Jima. And in 2016, 2017, she went with me in March to Iwo Jima. And uh, in March of next year, I'm scheduled to go with her again. Um, it's a reunion of honor between the Japanese and between the Americans who fought each other and probably the most uh, underrated battle where 28,000 young people were killed on eight square miles of land uh, fighting for the country. And we celebrate that together. Not too many veterans from Iwo Jima are alive today. Um, there were 20, uh, 67,000 American Marines on Iwo Jima in 1945. Not too many left. Now, you were also, I mean, there's so many different, uh, you know, layers to, to your story. And, and one of the um, one of the key ones that, that I was actually reading that figures fairly prominently is that you mentioned that you have had, you know, the fortune of being able to go back. Um, what was it like for you going back the first couple of times? And I understand that, that uh, this took a deeply personal turn in, in terms of uh, uh, a relationship that your son formed over there. That, that, uh, yeah, yeah. I went back in 2010 for the 65th anniversary of the, or the 50th anniversary, 60th anniversary of the invasion, 1945. It was really the first time um, that I ever wanted to do anything like that. The memories of Iwo Jima were not easy memories. And then in 2015, I went back again. The Department of Defense did a video, Jerry Yellen on Iwo Jima on YouTube, and it's been hit lots and lots and lots of times. And, uh, I'm grateful for my life, for being physically and mentally uh, aware and alert and having the opportunity to speak to other people about what war is. Uh, we have ISIS today who want to kill people for what they believe, and that's evil. And anybody who goes to war to protect that evil is doing a good, just, a good job, uh, justice. But war is a debilitating experience for most of us who serve. It was for me, and the memories of it are cherished memories for me, but difficult memories to think about the guys who didn't come home. Uh, do you see any differences in the experiences between um, active soldiers or recent vets today and some of the experiences that you went through or can you relate to some of the things that you're hearing 100 percent or i guess has the experience changed at all do you think no the, the killing is killing war is war is is, is an evil adventure um we are in afghanistan and iraq for the last 15 16 years for no reason at all um we just you know that was what our government said we were going to do and that's what we've been doing it's wrong. Killing people is evil. And Afghanistan has been around for centuries, and nobody's ever conquered them, and nobody ever will. We're still there. It's wrong. It's, a, it's not a good endeavor for our country to be at war with other countries. Um, and I, I know that you have a, uh, you know, the relationship turned into a family one. Um, when one of your sons actually married the, uh, the daughter of a... Uh, a Japanese pilot over there. Is that right? 
Yeah, that's right. I went to I went to Japan. I was asked to go to Japan in 1983 by the banks that I represented as a consultant in the real estate departments of the Bank of America, Bank of California, and Wells Fargo Bank. They asked me to go to Japan in 1983 to see if I could engage with the Mitsui Bank Group and have them invest in American Bank. And I said, no, I'm not going to go to myself. And I told them that I was too busy to go. And I mentioned it to my wife the night I came home, and I said I turned down a trip to Japan. And she looked at me and very quietly said, you never asked me, Jerry, if, if I wanted to go to Japan. So I went there in 1983, and I had an overwhelming um, feeling about the culture, the people, the education, the food, the scenery. And my wife said that Robert, our fourth son, would love Japan. So we gave him a six-week homestay program, and he went there in 1984 and then didn't know what he wanted to do in 1984 when he graduated from San Diego State. And he took a job teaching English for one year. And now it's 42 years later, and he hasn't come back yet. Uh, 1987, we went there. We met a young lady, and uh, he said, Robert said he wanted to marry her. It took seven months from March until... October for the father to agree to meet my son. And when he met him, he asked him five questions. How old is your father? 63. Was he in the war? Yes. What did he do? He was a pilot. What did he fly? P-51s. Where? Over Japan. And that ended the meeting with my son and his daughter. And he went home and told his wife to make the wedding. She went ballistic. She said, for 43 years, you've been telling me you never fired a bullet against the Americans. You didn't die for the emperor. Now you want our daughter to marry this guy, Gene, this American who you hate, this foreigner. You want him to marry our daughter to marry their son? And he said, yes. And she said, why? He said, any man that could fly a P-51 against the Japanese and live must be a brave man. And I want the blood of that man to flow through the veins of our grandchildren. So on March 5th, 1988, nearly just two days shy of the anniversary that I landed on Iwo Jima, uh, 43 years later, I went to the wedding in Japan, and my son married the daughter of a pilot who flew zeros for, for Japan in World War II and lived. So, so what was it like for you sitting across the table from from, from this man? And, and uh, I, I guess it must have been... You know, both a moment of pride and, and you know, also very stressful, too. I, I, you know, what kinds of things? Well, it was, yes. it was not stressful. This was a very great human being. And I looked at him, and knowing that he was uh, willing to die for his country as I was willing to die for my country. But it was 1988. We had peace in the world and peace between the two of us. And he passed away when he was 88, a couple of years ago, three, four years ago. And we have three Japanese grandchildren. My oldest, Robert gave them names that we could use in English. My oldest grandson's name is Kentaro. We call him Ken. He's 27, graduated with a master's degree in physics from Hokkaido University, which is the MIT of Japan, wow. and was stationed in London for two years. His brother, Simon, uh, graduated a four-year course in philosophy, at the University of City of London. He graduated in three years, was awarded a two-year course 
and philosophy at Oxford, the number one university in the year in the world. And he graduated with a course with a degree in philosophy in one year. And he's working at a university in Kobe. And my granddaughter, Sarah, Sarah in Japanese, is here, 21 years old. And she's going to Poland for a year of uh, advanced training in a college in Poland uh, from the University of City of London, of the uh, city of um, Tokyo, University of London. Uh, it was my grandson, the University of the City of Tokyo, is where um, uh, Sarah goes. And she's leaving in September for one year in Poland. So they're doing good things, and they're great people, and I'm happy to have them in my family. I have six grandchildren, three American, three Japanese, and I love them all dearly. And you yourself are still active in terms of your travels too, right? I, I think I read on your website that you're you're headed to Iceland in a couple of months? I'm headed to Iceland on October 4th. I'm booked, uh, Casey, until April of 2018. Um, really? To, yeah, I have bookings until 2018. I hope I'm around. <laughs> We'll see. Do you, do, I mean, do you still enjoy traveling? And, and uh, you I love it. Yeah, you do. I right? love traveling. I love speaking to people, and I think that I'm uh, I'm doing right for the 16 million of us who talk. Uh, Woody Williams, who is the last surviving of 27 Medal of Honor winners, um, he's the same age as I am, and he and I have been asked to appear at halftime at the Army-Navy game in December in Philadelphia. And uh, he's a very great representative of World War II with his foundation, the Gold Star Mothers, uh, talking about the, the guys who died and about the foundation that he has. Um, and it's, it's a pleasure to be with a guy like him and doing the things that we're doing. Uh, it's an honor. So, so what would you say, just in the, you mentioned that you love traveling, uh, you know, what, what would you say is one of your favorite places apart from Japan that, that, that you've been to? Well, the places that I've traveled, going to London, I'm going to Iceland, I haven't been there uh, representing America, but I've been in many, many, many states, and um, I like going to Texas. I was there with the former mayor of Dallas, uh, uh, Leopard, uh, Tom Leopard, and his wife Laura. I've been to California. I've been to the Reagan Libraries and the Nixon Libraries. Uh, several weeks ago, I'm going back to the Nixon Library on November 11th and speak to those people. So I'm, I'm just having a great time. Uh, glad to be alive and glad to be uh, physically fit and mentally alert. It's uh, it's a it's, it's and you're, you're still active on you're still active on your blog too. I saw that you're you're putting up posts on there regularly too. Huh? Well, that's what Tracy's doing. I'm not doing that. Jim Bell. Oh, I see. Okay. Fairfield. So Fairfield, Iowa, and Tracy are both running that for me. Um, yeah, they're doing they're doing that. I, I have a Facebook page, and uh, Regenery is the publisher of the new book, The Last Spider Pilot, that uh, came out. On uh, July 31st, Amazon has a web page that's been hit a lot of times with that as well. So, yeah, I'm living a good life. And uh, did I get this right? You're actually going to be featured in, uh, or you were featured recently in People Magazine? 
Yeah, there was a, on the on the website. Uh, there was an article on uh, about me on People magazine, and there was a big article in December in the New York Post as well. And uh, it's good publicity for the 16 million of us who served, and the 8 million Rosie the Riveters who were young women who worked right. in the defense industry. And Eleanor Otto is still around. She's the last. Oh, I think she worked 70 years or more at Boeing. She's still around and doing good things as well. Uh, Captain Ellen, what can I say? It's been, it's been a proud privilege to be able to talk to you this afternoon, sir. Uh, one last question I have for you before we kind of tie this all together. But where can people go to either get copies of your books or to learn more about your story or anything along those lines? Where can people go to uh, to learn more about you? Well, they can go to Amazon.com and put in The Last Spider Pilot to buy the book. They can put my name in as author, Jerry Yellen, Y-E-L-L-I-N, on Amazon to see the four books that I really wrote. Don Brown wrote The Last Spider Pilot, and I just helped him a little bit. But he's the author, Don Brown. He has a website. You can go there, too. So I'm looking forward to uh, speaking to you again, Casey. This has been great. Thank you very much. Okay. Thank you very much, sir. And uh, like I said, you know, thanks a lot for your time this afternoon. And um, I'll certainly be sharing your links out. And, uh, yeah, again, thank Tracy for me for setting this up. And, uh, you know, have a really good trip to Iceland. Be safe. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Okay, bye for now. Okay, so that's going to do it for us this week. Uh, we've been talking with Captain Jerry Yellen uh, from the Army Air Corps who uh, flew missions in World War II. Uh, again, a big thank you to Tracy McCormick for having uh, put this together for me this afternoon. Uh, I'm going to be back at the same time next week with Del- Derek Salarsano and Philip Grossman are going to be here to talk about their projects. So uh, until then, on behalf of my guests, uh, Captain Jerry Yellen, you've listened to Casey Ryan on the cutting room floor. We'll talk to you next week. Cut, print, wrap. And I am done. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.